If you want to open to the 19th chapter of Acts, that's where we'll be this morning. As we continue through Acts today, we're continuing to think about mission. And sometimes I think we, we always think about you know mission as uh, maybe exciting developments, new developments, encouraging developments. But sometimes I think uh, there are seasons of mission that involve endurance, that involve testing and refining in our lives. I was um, a couple weeks ago actually up on Mount Mansfield. Our staff, we all took part of the day to reflect and to pray on um, what the Lord was teaching us in this time of ministry. And as I thought about, you know, where was I growing or where was I feeling encouraged, that was a, a harder question to answer reflecting back on the past several months. But one of the things I felt like the Lord was speaking to me during that time of prayer was that that this season is a time where perhaps I'm growing in things like endurance and resilience and and trusting and knowing where my help truly comes from. Maybe you can identify with that as well. I was reading this week about the uh, German automaker Audi. I've never driven an Audi. Back when we were in China, you would see Audis everywhere. We actually had some friends who worked uh, for that organization. But they have, uh, they're, they're sort of famous in the industry for one of their testing methods when they develop a new model or make of a car. And it's called the Inca test, uh, the Ingolstadt uh, corrosion and aging test. And there's some site there in Bavaria where they take the newest models of their car, they drive them out there, and they subject them to all sorts of abuse. They uh, intentionally put gouges in the body of the car, they dent the exterior, and then they drive the car through uh, baths of salt and mud and all sorts of uh, sort of uh, exposure to various elements. They will take the car uh, through extreme temperatures. They'll they'll run it through uh, simulated uh, rooms that that take it down uh, negative 30 or below, negative 40, and all the way up to 200 degrees Fahrenheit. And they they strain sort of every element in the system of that automobile to see what comes out the other side. They say that within just under 20 weeks, they can age a car by 12 years. They can subject it to 12 years of stress. Maybe some of you looking back on the last 20 weeks feel like you've aged 12 years as well. I, some days I wonder. But there's, there's something right that happens, a testing, a growing, an understanding that's developed as a result of all that stress and pressure. The missionary journeys recorded for us in the book of Acts uh, of the Apostle Paul record a a litany of stress tests, a litany of hardships. Paul and his companions go on a number of long journeys. They are imprisoned on numerous occasions. They are shipwrecked at times. They're subjected to beatings. But among the sort of uh, biographers, those who study Paul carefully, some would say that the biggest test, the, the, the most difficult season that Paul faced was in the city of Ephesus. 
And there are uh, some clues in and around that. Part of it is based in what we'll read today in Acts 19. But some of it actually comes from Paul's letters uh, to other churches. We know uh, in a couple places when he writes to his friends in Corinth, he speaks about his journeys and his ministry in and around Ephesus in that section of Asia Minor. He talks about battling wild beasts in Ephesus, which we're not exactly sure what he's referring to there. But then in 2 Corinthians 1, at the very beginning of that letter, he talks about a season of his life and ministry in this region, right around Ephesus. And he says that during that season of his life, he was under so great a pressure, so heavy a stress, that he began to despair of life itself. But he goes on to say that he's even able to give thanks for that season because it was in that time that deep within his person, he was trained to rely not on himself, but on the mighty power of God to sustain and to deliver him. This morning, as we look at Acts 19, we're coming on the front side of Paul's experiences in Ephesus as he first comes into the city and things get underway. And the comments we've just heard from these letters are on the backside, him reflecting in retrospect on what took place in those two years in Ephesus. But I want us to think what it is that sustained Paul in those two years. As we, as we read about what develops today, I want us to think not so much about what Paul does, though that's important, but I want us to look at what God does on behalf of Paul. What gifts, what strength does, does God offer Paul and his companions to sustain them in a very difficult season of ministry? So we're at the beginning of Acts 19. Let me pray for us as we look at the word of God today. Lord Jesus, I thank you that whatever you begin in us, you are committed to growing and establishing and bringing to completion. Lord, I pray for the places in our families, in our own hearts and souls, and in this community that we need endurance today. Lord, would we see the gifts you have given to sustain your people in your word this morning. Pray that the words of my mouth as I preach, and may the meditations of all of our hearts be found pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So last week we spoke about Paul's time in Corinth. After uh, about a year and a half in Corinth, Paul left that city. He actually traveled briefly to Ephesus initially, but only stayed for a short while, and then decided instead to head over. He sailed for Jerusalem to visit the church there. He went back up to Antioch to spend some time with kind of his home church community there. Then he traveled overland through Galatia to all those churches he planted with Barnabas to encourage them again. And then it says uh, he sensed, you know, the Spirit leading him back to the city of Ephesus for, for a longer period. And that's where we pick up in Acts 19. I'm going to start with verses 1 through 6. It says, while Apollos, uh, another colleague in the gospel, was, was at Corinth, Paul instead took the road through the interior and arrived 
at Ephesus. And there he found some disciples and he asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul then asked, What baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. They spoke in tongues and they began to prophesy. This first sort of incident in Ephesus, the beginning of Paul's ministry there in earnest, is sort of confusing to know what to do with. Right? We're told he comes to Ephesus, he finds that there are roughly a dozen disciples in the synagogue there. And he begins to, to sort of interview and get to know these 12 men. And it turns out they know something about the person of Jesus. Turns out that they have embraced a, a lifestyle of repentance. They've, they've turned away from their own way and are, are seeking to follow God in the mission he has for them. But after spending a, a short period of time with them, Paul senses something isn't quite right. Finally, we're told in verse 2, he says, wait a minute. Did you ever receive the Holy Spirit? And they all sort of look at him like, what's that? Who's that? How would you answer that question if someone asked you this morning? Did you ever receive the Holy Spirit? Right? And what have we done with that spirit if we have received it? What Luke is telling us, I think, is not that these men needed more teaching about Jesus. They didn't even need a, a more earnest act of repentance. They had received the baptism of John. What they needed to receive in order to begin in mission was the Spirit of God living in their very person. And so in verses 5 and 6, we're told Paul places his hands upon them, and as he baptizes them, they also receive the Holy Spirit. And, and the Holy Spirit is poured out in a, a rather dramatic fashion here. They begin to speak in tongues. They begin to prophesy. And there are some, you know, denominations or, or uh, traditions within the church that would point to this passage and suggest that all of us need a second kind of baptism, a spirit baptism. Or that we must prophesy and speak in tongues in order to demonstrate the, the earnestness, the authenticity of our salvation. In my own estimation, I think that's an overreach of the text and what Luke intends to communicate. But what I do think Luke wants us to hear in this passage is how greatly we depend upon the Spirit of Jesus to fill us and to sustain us. We need the Holy Spirit. So that's the, the first point I'd have you try to remember this morning. If we're to be sustained, if we're to endure as people in God's mission with him, we have to have the Holy Spirit within us, an integral part of our lives. 
To the mind of the Apostle Paul, there is no mission of God without the Spirit of God in us. You can't be in mission if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. Right, to preach Paul's gospel that he proclaims about Jesus, to endure countless rejection and, and, and uh, suffering, to keep moving forward in mission, Paul needed to be filled with the, the spiritual reality of Jesus' presence in his body. Again, to appeal to Paul's uh, epistles, Paul would write to his friends in Corinth that that in this season of hardship, it was apparent to him that he carried around the presence of Jesus in his body like a treasure in a fragile clay jar, right? He's always subjected to, to being beat down and persecuted and struck down and abandoned. But yet there is this treasure within him, the glory of God's own presence in his person that he was drawing strength from again and again. Do we appreciate, do we rely on the gift of the Holy Spirit in our lives? How many times this week have you thought about the Spirit of God's presence with you? Have you prayed and asked the Spirit for help or for wisdom or for strength? Right? As people who seek to be in mission with God, we have to have, we have to cultivate that kind of dependence on the Holy Spirit. Because God doesn't just call us to go out into the world and talk about Jesus. God doesn't just call us into the world to, to tell people about a, a need for the repentance of their sins. God calls us to be emissaries of his spirit, right? To bring his power, to bring his presence into our world, to bring the living person and body of Jesus within our bodies. And without that spirit, we aren't really in mission. So I think it's important that Luke tells us that the mission in Ephesus begins with the pouring out of the Spirit. Because that's a gift that's necessary for any believer, but it's going to be especially necessary in a place like Ephesus. Because Ephesus had a reputation in the ancient world. Probably out of all the things Ephesus was, was known for, it was known for being a center of the occult. There was a massive temple to the goddess Artemis, and there was a whole guild of sorcerers and people who would create scrolls and amulets and cast curses upon people. There was, there was a whole traffic around enacting supernatural powers and, and manipulating them on your behalf. But we're told that as the Holy Spirit is poured out on these first disciples in Ephesus and they're sent out into this city, some really incredible things begin to take place. Look with me, picking up in verse 11. I'll kind of read through a handful of these verses all the way down to 20. It says, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, and I would argue through the Holy Spirit's work in Paul. So that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and the evil spirits left them. And the next several verses go on to describe some of these encounters and the power of the name of Jesus to drive back uh, powers of darkness. 
It says, because of what was taking place, verse 19, a number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and they burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. A drachma was one day's wage for, for a day of work. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. So if the first thing we need to sustain us in mission is the gift, the presence, a dependence on the Holy Spirit in our lives, I think the second thing we're told about here is the importance of the Word of God, the living, powerful Word of God to go forward in mission to sustain us. These disciples are sent out along with Paul to confront and to engage the powers of darkness in their community. In verse 19, though, they they sort of come up against a contest, I think Luke is telling us. Right? How much power does the word of God have? And does it actually have more power than these magicians and sorcerers have in the words they write on these scrolls? It's God's word versus the words of, of these other principalities and powers of darkness. And in verse 19, I think we're told which one has greater power. Right? A whole guild of these magicians and sorcerers come together, they publicly renounce their way of life, and they burn the equivalent of several lifetimes worth of, of scrolls, several lifetimes worth of, of, a, of a fortune of these sacred scrolls. N.T. Wright says in his biography about Paul that at this moment in time, Ephesus was turning into a living example of what the gospel could do. Not just in a few individuals, but in an entire community. It's expressing a transformation taking place. And verse 20 says that transformation is attributed to the word of the Lord that began to spread widely and grew in power. Do do we, again, not just have an appreciation of the Holy Spirit that lives in us, but also have an appreciation of the power of God's word? When we gave out Bibles a minute ago, do we see those as a helpful resource, something to learn about, something to study? Or do we believe that the word God has given us has actual power? actual sustenance? Do we feed upon it? Do we carry it in our mouths? Do we speak it on our lips? Do we depend upon the word of God? One of the, the things that I think has sustained me in these past several months, even when I didn't feel particularly encouraged, was just that daily practice of coming and, and reading God's word, reading through the liturgy, reading through the Psalms every day. Being steeped in the living power of God's word. And that word has power to us personally to sustain us. It also has power to transform and renew our community as it did in Ephesus. Do we believe, do we speak the word of God to people in our community that are burdened with brokenness or Subjects of abuse or violence or addiction or all kinds of spiritual oppression. Do we believe that the word of Jesus really has power to come against those things? 
to bring wholeness, to bring healing, to bring light. Right? The Holy Spirit is a sustaining gift of God to us in mission. The living word of God is a gift to sustain us in mission. But as we begin to speak and enter into those places, N.T. Wright also reminds us that when the kingdom of God advances, the powers of darkness rarely give up so easily. And so we see the pushback that comes starting in verse 23. About the end of Paul's time there, nearing the, the end of his two years in Ephesus, it says, About that time there arose a great disturbance about the way. A hullabaloo, I think Donna called it. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called the craftsmen together along with workers in related trades, and he said, You know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. And you see here how, and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are in fact no gods at all. And if you want to hear that sermon in detail, go back to what Paul says in Athens. Moving on to verse 28, it says that when the crowd began to hear this, they grew furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was in an uproar. The people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, who were Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. And all of them rushed into the theater in Ephesus together. And Paul is in hot water once again, right? It looks like his time is running out in Ephesus. As Paul fills this community, right, prays that they would be filled with the Holy Spirit, as he begins to, to empower them to share boldly the living word of God in that city, right, they come up against a significant point of conflict because they are calling into question the, the validity, the popularity, the authority of Ephesus's greatest landmark. Right? One of the seven wonders of the ancient world was in the heart of their city, and it was this temple to Artemis. I've not been to Athens, but if you've seen pictures of Athens and you can picture the Parthenon, picture four Parthenons stuck together, and that is the equivalent size of this temple to Artemis. It held a massive idol within and it obviously was, it was a source of, of reputation and prestige. People would travel from all over the Greek and Roman world. They would purchase idols from the temple and take them back with them. But of course, if Paul is calling people away from the worship of these things and to the worship of the true and living God, it's, it's caused an economic disruption in the city. And so Demetrius, who's maybe the head of one of these guilds, brings together everyone whose livelihood depends on the practices of idolatry. And he makes Paul the scapegoat for what's taking place. 
Right? And, and a mob comes together. They fill the, the theater in Ephesus. You can still see the theater there today. It's this giant Roman amphitheater. And the people begin chanting their loyalty to the goddess Artemis. Right? They say literally, make great the name. Make great Artemis in Ephesus. They're inviting, in essence, maybe unwittingly, the powers and principalities of darkness to reign and rule over them in an effort to maintain the status quo. There will be times in our own communities and in our own cultures where knowingly or unknowingly people will invite the powers and principalities of darkness to maintain the status quo, to rule over us rather than allow the reign of God the kingdom of God to advance. Right? There are times when greed or fear or hatred or pride or insecurity will fuel the worship of false idols. Right? And those things can happen even in and around the church itself. And in those moments, I think we need to remember what Paul and his companions remember here, that the presence of God, the Spirit of God, fills them, is with them, stands beside them, and will sustain them in mission. God desires us to be his witnesses, especially in those times. At the end of chapter 19 here, there is a, a level-headed city clerk who stands up to the crowd in Ephesus. He diffuses the, the mob gathering. And as they're sent away, though, it's clear that Paul will no longer be safe in Ephesus much longer. And so after two years of pushing back on the darkness in that city, Paul decides to leave and he returns to Macedonia and Greece to, to revisit the churches there. We're not clear whether Paul ever was able to to return to the city of Ephesus itself. Next week, we'll see he comes close by and he meets with the elders of the church again. But we, we know for certain that a handful of years later, he wrote a letter to these particular uh, communities in Ephesus and in the cities just outside Ephesus. The people who stayed behind, who were sustained and continuing the mission of God in that place. And that letter is what we now call the book of Ephesians. In closing this morning, I want to share with you two brief passages. One at the beginning of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, one at the end of that letter. As a third encouragement of what sustains us in mission. My hope is that we might also draw strength if you need to be sustained or encouraged in God's mission today. Both of them speak about the power of God to sustain us. The first is in Ephesians 1.19, if you want to turn there. Again, Paul's writing to this, this community we've just heard about who's endured and stood against sorcery and the powers of darkness and the strongholds of Artemis and the worship of of that temple in their city. This is what Paul prays for them who are left behind. He says he prays that they would know the incomparably great power for those who believe. Verse 19 says, That power is the same as the mighty strength 
that God exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule, all authority, power, and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but also in the age to come. Think about what those words mean in a place like Ephesus. He says that the the power of the resurrected Jesus, the power that raised Jesus from death, and not only raised him above death, but then raised him to the most exalted place in the heavens, right? Above every power, every ruler, whether it's political or spiritual, whether it's a power seen or unseen, Paul says this power that is at work in Jesus is also at work in you. It's for us too. Paul says, I pray that God would keep opening, unveiling the eyes of your hearts that you might see it and know it and live out of that power, that it would sustain you. So that's the way Paul opens the letter. It's his opening prayer. He goes through the whole book of uh, of Ephesians, all of his teaching and encouragements. And then he comes back to this same idea of the mighty power of God in conclusion. Chapter 6, starting in verse 10. He says this, Finally, my brothers and sisters, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, you could stand. The third thing that sustains us to be a presence and and to continue on in the mission of God is to learn to stand in his mighty power, to be clothed with all the gifts of God's armor. In a world that will wear us down, in a world that will wear us out, we need, we depend upon that power. But power comes in all different shapes and sizes, and so I think it's important for us to identify what sort of power is God speaking about here. Really briefly, I want to share with you a quote from Tim Keller. He wrote this in the New York Times about a year ago. He says, when we imagine power as Christians, Christians must think about how God rescued them. God did not take power in coming to the earth, but God lost glory and power by serving and dying on a cross. Keller asks, how did Jesus save? He says, not with a sword, but with nails in his hands. So as we seek to be sustained in mission, the power that is given to us is a power that is cruciform. Jesus has disarmed the powers of darkness, the principalities, the authorities, in high and low places, 
And he did it by entrusting himself fully to the power of God, even in his weakness. The cross is Jesus standing in the mighty power of God. Because Jesus knew that even from that place of death, God was mighty enough to raise him, to raise his body, and to exalt his name above every other name. Paul says that same strength, that same power is at work in you. And so if we are to remain in mission, we must choose that power. We must hope in that power. We must take our stand in that power. I want to pray for you now together. And then if any of you would like to receive individual prayer, as the worship team comes up to play a few songs in conclusion, uh, Pastor Pete and I will be just over here um, to the left of the stage. And if you would, you would like someone to pray directly into anything in your life right now, places you need encouragement or power or strength, please come, come over and we would love to pray with you. Let me pray for all of us. Lord God, may you fill us with your Holy Spirit that we would be living witnesses of your presence, that we would carry around the power and the person of Jesus in our bodies today. Lord, would you fill us and entrust to us and move through us the power of your living word. Lord, would you drive back the forces of darkness in our lives. Help us to speak it with boldness. And Lord, would you cause us to stand in your mighty strength, the same strength that is at work in Christ Jesus, strength to lift us from death and into everlasting life. Pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.